And, and kind of to your point, you don't have to spend a lot of money on this because it's actually such an emotional issue. It's the fact exactly. that you're crying. Exactly. With this, that I feel like I have an ally and somebody who's on my team trying to help me deal with this. Right. And, you know, student loans are so annoying. Most people have student loans from multiple different providers. You don't know where to log in, how to pay, how much you owe. Often there are multiple payments throughout the month mm -hmm. to different providers. So if you just offer a tool that helps them consolidate that loan and have one loan that comes right yeah. out of their paychecks, so they never even, they can set it and forget it. Um, those are the kinds of, uh, uh, forms of assistance that don't need to cost very much at all. Um, yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes they even charge a fee to the employee rather than to the employer. The employer just facilitates this. Uh, earned wage access is another one. Uh, employees, uh, you know, most Americans uh, lose so much money in overdraft charges to their banks uh, if they can get access to their pay when they need it. It's better for everyone. Um, what, what many companies discovered, which was a surprising benefit of providing this daily pay type uh, perk, was that when employees were short 20 bucks for gasoline, they, uh, in the past, would call out sick and then drive for Uber or Lyft uh, to get cash more quickly. Oh, wow. And so they would moonlight um, and, uh, and if instead you're giving workers access to their earned wages, uh, you know, right away when they need it, um, you, you improve, uh, um, you, you reduce absenteeism, you raise morale, uh, you reduce sort of petty cash theft and the kinds of behaviors That's that you really don't want, uh, people, people doing and, you know, and you help them by, by avoiding that temptation. So, um, there, I think there were lots and lots and lots of win, win, wins that are not yet um, uh, that ubiquitous. Uh, there's still quite a lot of low-hanging fruit. And the most important low-hanging fruit of all is the real basics, like pleasant, ergonomically um, sound workspaces, mm. well-lit workspaces, climate control, um, uh, break rooms with water fountains, with coffee, uh, simple things, simple things. Well, okay. So maybe just real briefly, if we can touch on this, just sort of the whole remote versus return to office phenomenon. And we've seen, obviously, you know, some pretty high profile CEOs, like get your butt back in the office, like the vacation's over. I need, I need you back in the office. And employees going, yeah, no, like, I really don't want to go to your office. I actually like not having three hours of my life chewed up in a commute. I actually like having dinner with my kids, you know, and, and things like that. Are you guys seeing um, any decrease in remote only or remote first types of openings? So we divide the labor market into sort of four segments. Uh, one where remote work has just continued to rise and you're not seeing any pullback. And that's in tech, law, healthcare, uh, a number of, of key industries. Uh, there's another segment of industries where remote work sort of rose a bit and then just kind of plateaued, um, where there aren't really that many roles that can be done remotely. There's another segment where remote work was rapidly adopted, but as an emergency measure only, it didn't work well, like in K through 12 schools yeah. and it very rapidly went away again because it just is terrible uh and then there's a whole enormous part of the u.s labor force where there was no penetration of remote work at all because the jobs just have to be done in person passenger transport uh food preparation etc cetera, etc cetera. um we're not, we're seeing 
a shift in the industry mix of jobs right now, where the more than 70% of the jobs being added each month are in uh, leisure and hospitality, um, the government, um, uh, and, uh, and healthcare in these very in-person industries. And so the remote share of postings overall has gone down, but not actually because of what you're seeing in the headlines about um, tech CEOs demanding people come back to work. Uh, on the contrary, um, office vacancy rates keep to keep going up, not down, uh, as you know, one by one companies come to the end of their leases and say, we're out where, you know, there are only two people in this office that accommodates 2000, you know, we're, we're downsizing, we're moving from two floors to one, et cetera, et cetera. Well, so as is so common in the data, right? Like you, you have to start peeling it back and there's not mm-hmm. this sort of monolithic one size fits all answer. It's a bit more nuanced than that. And I really appreciate your explanation. There's a few things there that like that was new to me. So I, I love how you guys have kind of not quartile, but you've, you've partitioned <laughs> it into, into four different uh, segments and they have their own behaviors associated with them. So that's cool. Um, let's see. One of the things that, so Career Club's business is, you know, helping folks in, in career transitions. So that could be mm-hmm. an individual job seeker who's in between opportunities. That could be somebody who's currently working, but in my crass way of saying it, Sunday night sucks and they're looking for something. <laughs> and then there's kind of the B2B side of it, which is outplacement, what we talked about right. with next placement. So we talk a lot with candidates mm-hmm. and, you know, I don't know if we have a biased pool of folks or what, but candidate experience seems to be pretty not great. And, you know, whether it's, you know, the kind of, I applied online, never heard anything back because the ATS opted me out, or I did have some initial screening and then I got ghosted, as everybody says, or, you know, it felt like almost like a perfunctory job posting. And yeah, I went through some of the interview process, but they ended up going with an internal candidate. Um, th- those would be some common themes that we mm-hmm. hear from, from our folks. I'm curious from your side, you know, how you see candidate experience and, and are we seeing anything that's representative of the market or is that maybe not necessarily? So I think a lot of these problems come down to the time dimension and how difficult that actually makes this whole matching problem. So in very organized, limited, bounded labor markets, like say the labor market for graduating law students, uh, there are institutions that run the labor market and there's a set day when everyone needs to apply and there's a set day when all employers need to have gotten back to all the candidates and then there's a, you know, a set onboarding period where everyone goes through onboarding at once. There, you can really, uh, you know, rank all of the candidates, see everyone who's out there, respond to everyone when they expect you to respond to them, and then have you know a whole cohort sort of forged together in this group experience. Instead, of course, in the broader labor market, like the ZipRecruiter marketplace, there is no real central planner, and companies are hiring all the time. Candidates are applying all the time. Um, they're, they're sending so many applications. Employers are looking at so many candidates. Half the time when, a, when an employer f- likes a candidate and 
uh, sort of reaches out with an offer, they've already been snapped up by somebody else. Uh, when the candidate you know, really likes a company, it's too late. They're applicant number 237. And even if they would have been the best candidate, the employer's not even looking at that resume anymore. Right? Employers um, mostly only look at the resumes that are received in the first second weeks of within, you know, within the job posting. Um, uh, so time is a really crucial dimension here. It makes things very, very tricky. It means that um, companies don't know how to get everyone together for group onboarding because you have one person starting in January, two people starting in March, seven people. You know, It's just actually a very, very, very complicated problem. I think it's something that we at ZipRecruiter are, are actively working to solve. We're trying to sort of create the um, uh, sort of digital version of you know a hiring of an in-person hiring event mm -hmm. where all of the recruiters are lined up sitting there and the candidates um, are are in a line and, and they're sort of speed dating and today's the day everyone's going to hear uh, your back and uh, so I, I think to the extent that we can create that experience uh, everyone will be better off um, bringing people together at a point in time who are both available and interested um, and who can make contact immediately and see each other immediately, I think would, would make a world of difference. Maybe this is a good opportunity then because part of that is process, part of that's technology, and I'm sure there's mm -hmm. a lot of other elements. But um, you know, I originally discovered you um, in the Wall Street Journal, and I think you were at a conference and the, they were talking about AI. Mm -hmm. and so how do you see AI you know, both from the employer's perspective and in this process that we we're just talking about, and then also from the candidate side. Well, this is a very exciting moment. You know, anytime you have a breakthrough new technology like this, um, neither the uh, designers of that technology, nor the first adopters, nor big businesses really know what its potential is going to yeah. be, uh, how quickly people are going to adopt it, how they're going to like it. Um, you know, every day you see new threads on Twitter uh, of people showing off something they discovered that they could do with ChatGPT yes. uh, or, or various AI tools. I mean, it's just there are hundreds of AI tools being released now every day uh, that, that, you know, use this underlying technology as their, their basis. Um, I saw someone uh, posting about how she spent $17 on some tool um, that allowed her to just take a, a selfie, you know, looking like she does in the morning, you know, no makeup. Uh, and turn it into a beautiful corporate headshot. Um, uh, you know, there, there, I think there are, there are so many ways that it can be used in our space um, mm -hmm. by job seekers and employers to help them both stand out and be the best they can be. And it's, it's ordinary individuals who are discovering those uh, every day. Uh, employers are increasingly looking for those kinds of individuals. The people who love, who, who see a new technology and go, yeah, and immediately log on, get a subscription and fiddle with it and figure out uh, everything they can do with it, right? Stretch it until it breaks. Um, though employers are, are looking for those people now very eagerly uh, to help them figure out how they can incorporate it in their product and how they can get ahead of the game. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've we've had some good success with our clients. And again, everybody's sort of like we're fiddling with it right now. And we're all just sort of, you know, kind of, you know, trying to figure it out heuristically. But, um you know, doing things like, um, you know, downloading um, content from the company and saying, like, you know, give me five really good questions to ask mm -hmm. during an interview. Right. Um, 
or you know, part of our methodology is encouraging people to be very proactive in reaching out to companies and finding the decision maker. And well, I could spend hours and hours and hours scouring every website and whatever, or I could use technology for what it's good for. And at least I'm doing that early discovery and kind of you know, start to compartmentalize this a little bit for me and create some kind of a narrative here that I can start to work off of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're finding that it's getting candidates like a huge jumpstart of being a differentiated candidate Absolutely. and not Absolutely. being candidate number 247, you yeah. know, in line on the ATS, but actually doing something different than what everybody else is doing. And, and, you know, hopefully working a little bit smarter and using technology again for what it's good for. Absolutely. I think, I think this technology is going to separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to candidates uh, to, to an enormous degree. Uh, the most sophisticated candidates are going to uh sort of treat ChatGPT like a parent or friend uh, saying, you know, how, how do I look at my resume, cr- you know, critique it? How do I make it stand out? How can I improve this? What are some skills missing on this resume that yes. would be valuable for me to get if I want these kinds of roles? Um, uh, you know, be the worst hiring manager you could possibly be. Uh, pretend that you're a total jerk and you want me to fail and you want to embarrass me and ask the kinds of um, of interview questions that give me sort of a deer in the headlights look. You know, put me on the spot. Ask me something really hard. Um, help me turn my resume into an elevator pitch, a 30-second response yes. to the question I'm inevitably going to get, which is, tell me about yourself. Right? That always seems to floor candidates. Somehow, uh, either they ramble on for 30 minutes about their background and you know, in, chrono- you know, in chronological order yes. and tell us everything they've done in their lives, um, uh, or they just stare blankly and say, well, what do you want to know? Or, you know? <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, I think if you use this tool well, you can really stand out and just hit it out of the park and be confident and comfortable and shine. There, this is maybe a little bit of a non sequitur, but I think it is related, which is around older candidates mm-hmm. and perceived ageism. And I think a lot of um, perceived rejection gets laid at the, the foot of ageism. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things we find is like, no, it's irrelevance in some cases. Like, like tell me about your experience with ChatGPT. Well, I haven't really been on it. I don't know. Well, okay, so you're you're opting yourself out. That's not ageism. You know, in my view, that's irrelevance. And mm-hmm. yeah, we find other folks who, as you say, just sort of like run to it. They're like, this is cool. Let me play with it. Let me break it, you know, <laughs> and, and see what I can do with it. Right. And those are the candidates, surprisingly, that we see are having a lot of success in their job search because mm-hmm. they're staying current with what's going on. Right. And some of them are older, you know, when, when there are, I think there is a bias against older workers, but there are ways to sort of disarm that bias and, uh, and, and counteract it. And one is to show how tech savvy you are throughout the process, uh, to put it right there on your, your resume that you are, um, you know, enthusiastic about new technologies or uh, showcase your proficiency with chat GPT some way. Definitely well, one way to do it. So, super, so that kind of makes me think about talent pools more broadly. And you know, in some of the other uh, podcasts that we've had with thought leaders like you, wh- one of the topics that comes up pretty regularly is broadening the talent pool. So we might talk about people with prior convictions, mm-hmm. as an example, people who do not have a four-year degree. Maybe they've been to a tech boot camp or something like that, or older workers, somebody who's unretiring 
for whatever right. reason. They're bored. They need the money, something. Mm-hmm. Um, where does that fit into how you guys, maybe you specifically think about changes that could be made in this very competitive talent market? So historically, something you see uh, is that uh, labor force participation just kind of keeps rising as um, you chug along uh, through an economic expansion. So until you hit another recession, uh, people are going to just keep on coming in off the sidelines. Uh, In 2018 and 2019, Many economists thought we had already reached maximum employment, but uh, labor force participation among women was going to, uh, you know, had plateaued for years and was going to fall. Instead, it kept rising, uh, and so you know, ideally, um, uh, we we would avoid recessions forevermore, and we would keep drawing people in. One of the reasons that happens is because there seems to be some kind of sort of speed limit in how quickly. The labor for the labor market can absorb talent and candidates, yeah. um, and uh, and so you know we sort of suck up all the people who are most available, who are actively seeking work, and yeah. then uh, you know once once you sort of exhaust the supply of, of the, you know the, the most salient, most active job seekers, you end up you know, drawing in um, a pretty steady stream of people from other places. Um, that said, of course, there are other ways to uh, to help employers find uh, those candidates, to help those candidates find uh, the, you know the kinds of jobs that they most like. I mean, you know, we've we've encouraged uh, employers to uh, highlight that they are veteran friendly yes. or that they are um, uh, you know friendly to, to past offenders or whatever it is. And there there are ways for employers to stand out. Uh, they can sign the ARP's pledge and be listed uh, on on job boards that specifically appeal to older workers. There are many, many, many ways to to go about it and to um, to yeah to expand your talent pools and reach reach new uh, audiences. Um, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, we've covered a ton of, of topics, and, and this has been fascinating. But one of the things that I also really always like to ask our guests, and I think that from some of the things that you've shared with us, between being an immigrant to the U.S., a woman, a working mom. What's career advice that you would give to you know, maybe a younger Julia and, and somebody who might be listening? Or in my case, I've got a daughter who I think you know, would uh, be a peer of yours in so many ways. Um, what career advice did you give uh, younger women and working moms? Ah, um so I think the, the, you know, the number one piece of advice I would give is to think carefully about what your ideal role uh, would be uh, by looking at other people. You know, I think for a long time, Condoleezza Rice was sort of the, the person whose career, sort of spanning acad- academia, uh, policymaking, uh, was, was sort of the, the kind of gold standard for what I was going for. Um, so see if you can craft the ideal uh, career role for yourself and then make it happen. Um, I decided before I applied to ZipRecruiter, before I even knew about this job, that I wanted to be uh, a labor economist at TaskRabbit, at some kind yes. of, of company that connects employers and job seekers in real time where I could, uh, using real data that 
looks at uh, people's reviews, whether they have a picture included or not, at how many jobs they've done, you know, what differences those made in, in hiring and retention and recruitment and performance. Um, and so I started finding contacts uh, at the company and I was going to reach out to people and pitch them that there could be PR value and thought leadership value in having an economist explore their data more. And then I happened to just you know, browse ZipRecruiter one day and I found there was exactly that job already listed at a company. But once you first step back and think about what it is you want, it's easier to find it, to, you know, to spot it when you see it. Um, sometimes it doesn't exist. And then I would encourage people to, to, uh, to go and create it themselves, to pick up the phone, to send emails, to, uh, to, you know, slide into people's DMs on Twitter, to yep. reach them on LinkedIn, et cetera. Well, I, I so, so yes, the, the, the thing about like, know what you're looking for. So sometimes and tell me about yourself or Joey, what are you looking for? You know, that's really a good question. Like, you know, I'm not really sure. Well, that's not a great answer. Sometimes. Well, about half of people on ZipRecruiter who are looking for jobs uh, it left the search bar blank when it came to uh, the, the job title they were looking for. Uh, they would do a blank search and just kind of let the product guide them. We now have Phil, our AI uh, personal recruiter, ask candidates, do you know what you want or not? Are you exploring? Do you want, do you want me to help you sort of discover different roles? Yes. Um, and so the product is now trying to hold people's hands a little bit and give them a sort of tour through the labor market because there is a dizzying array of jobs out there. No one uh, knows all of the possibilities out there. Um, and jobs are becoming more and more specialized. There are an increasing number of, of job titles, of skills listed in job postings yes. uh, all the time. So you can't possibly know everything that's out there. Uh, and, and, um, and, you know, it, it really helps to have a guide through the process. Well, I think we just added a new resource for us being Phil, because... <laughs> No, I'm being serious because the discovery piece of this is really important. It's very important. And, and it's very foundational to the work mm -hmm. that we do with our members is that it, you, you need to sometimes slow down to hurry up yes. and, and do some of this discovery work and figure out. And, and you did like you knew fairly specifically, I think, mm -hmm. the kind of role that was going to be exciting to you. The second piece of what I heard you say that, again, would really resonate with with our methodology is now go find people who can help you, who can give you more information, who might be able to help you network to the kind of role that you're doing. And then the, go ahead. Yeah. Although something I have to say, I'm uh, sort of that gave me huge confidence in in the world was that uh, in each of the roles that I've uh, had, especially my, my yeah all of my jobs, um, there there was no connection. There was no network. There were, I didn't know anyone. I applied cold to everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and so also, you know, I think it is important to have some faith in the process. You don't necessarily uh, need an in. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you should just throw your hat in the ring and, uh, and trust that there are still companies that, uh, you know, that eat their own dog food, that yeah. post jobs and really mean it, that are, that are doing a, um, an open search uh, and that are. And to that point, that's why we encourage our, our clients to take what I would call an omni-channel approach, mm -hmm. right? It's apply online, work with recruiters, you right. know, do networking, do direct outreach to companies that are of interest to you, like do all of it right? because you don't know which one's going to hit. Something will hit. You just don't know which one and when. 
So you have to have kind of a, a diversified strategy. Right? Absolutely. And, and use uh, outbound sort of proactive recruiting as well. Reach out to passive talent. Uh, yes. There are many people who kind of just continue moving along with their life the way it is. They may be bored. They may feel like they're underpaid, but there's just so much to do when you get home, you know, uh, bathing the kids, giving them dinner, sending them to bed. You can't, you know, you don't have time to, to fix the problem and do serious rethinking. Um, but reaching out to candidates and saying, hey, you're a great fit uh, often has a fantastic approach. It's it's the piece of the experience on ZipRecruiter uh, that that de delivers the best experience for job seekers and employers consistently. I think you might have a statistic behind that. How is that kind of, I, I think I saw something that you were, were quoted on. How do you see that that methodology kind of taking root with, with uh, in your numbers? Yeah, so people who are invited to apply uh, are, are, you know, are twice as likely to uh, to do so as people who just sort of passively saw the, the job uh, in, in their feed. Uh, and they are about three times as likely to get a thumbs up from the employer. So you know, when an employer has already seen you and decided that you're a great fit for their job and then you apply, um, you know, Everyone is is excited and happy, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing. Uh, candidates love the feeling of being told, "Hey, we value you." You know, we yes. it's like Uncle Sam needs you. You know, like the <laughs> the army recruiting campaign. Um, it's a very compelling message. Well, and then you know, around culture, and am I going to feel at home here? And just feel like a, this place is a good fit for me. They're inviting me. They're like telling me, hey, we value you. You have experience and qualities that we find very valuable. It also signals that you are actually hiring. I, many, many candidates are worried when they see a job posting that it's, yeah. you know, not worth their effort and time to make a big investment. And they're a little shy and nervous. Should I put myself out there for people yeah. who will just reject me? Uh, so when you show that you really are actively hiring and looking for exactly what they offer, uh, that, that's a very important signal. That's an optimistic note to end on. Julia, this has been awesome. I have learned a ton. It's been great to get to know you here a little bit. Um, and for listeners, again, you know, please make sure that you're following Career Club on LinkedIn. Uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use and or on YouTube. Uh, but anyway, Julia, this has been phenomenal. I hope you have Thank a great you, conference here in Vegas. And I'll look forward to speaking with you soon. Thanks so much. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank too. you so much. I know.